0: This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard, and today we talk all things Ashes with former Australian captain, Ricky Ponning. G'day, Ricky. Good morning, man. And alongside Ricky is Cricket.com.au senior writer, Andrew Ramsey. Hello, Rambo. Hello, Sam. Hello, Ricky. And uh, Rambo, you would have attended dozens of Ricky Ponning press conferences in your days working for the Australian, and now for cricket.com.au. What was the most exotic location you can remember? Oh, there was
1: many an exotic location. I think we remember doing one in a billowing tent. I think it was in Jaipur once where uh, you couldn't hear a word said. You were that far down the other end <laughs> of the... But I think the most exotic location was probably Nairobi, the glorious Tri-Nations tournament that uh, it might have been one of your first as one day captain, I think, when we went to the uh, the Kenyan capital. It was pretty exciting. <laughs>
2: I'm not sure it was exciting. It was. <laughs> it might have been one of my first as captain, but that was about where the excitement stopped. I reckon it was
1: exotic. We'll leave it at that.
0: Ricky, we start off the show with our Mastercard moment. Now, Rambo and I picked ours from the third test earlier in the week. So, we'll get you to pick yours. The one moment from the third test that stands out for you, your Mastercard moment. Oh,
2: there's a few, um, and they probably all happened in the last couple of balls. It was probably the missed run out. It was the it missed lbw, and then it was the winning runs a couple of, <laughs> a couple of balls after that. I, um, well, Look, it's hard to put your finger on one of them, but I think, well, for England, every England fan, it will be the winning runs. For every Australian fan, it will be the missed run out. That's pretty much how we'll see it, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what 40- did you guys say? I went the Stokes switch
0: hit, reverse sweep, which was just kind of sent the message, I thought, at that point. And I went uh, the Aussie angle and went uh, the, the Travis head run out because oh. uh, and the catch on the boundary. I yeah. thought Travis said... Uh, where would you where would you put him in the list of fielders for the Australian team? Is he up near the top? or, Yeah, so your, your expression would suggest that uh, not a miracle by Travis Head, but a fantastic. <laughs> no, he's, a,
2: <laughs> he's someone that works hard on his fielding. I think he has to work hard on his fielding, to be honest, as all the boys do. For those moments that come around like that run out in the second innings there, as you say. And it's amazing how much that's changed in the game, the boundary catching now, the boundary line catching, the awareness of the players now where the rope actually is and their ability to not overstep, you know, Trent Bolt did it in the World Cup final, which cost them, but otherwise you don't see that happen too often anymore.
0: 48 hours on, has it sort of sunk in, what we've seen at Headingley over those four days?
2: Uh, Yeah, it was certainly sunk in for me, Um, you know, I was sort of stuck in the middle of it, trying to sit in the commentary box and talk about um, what was happening on the line fighting on that last day, but I've actually, you look at Stokes, and everyone talked about how well he batted in the second innings, but... I actually think the turning point in the game was his bowling spell the night before mm. late on day 2 where Archer was off with a cramp uh, there wasn't much happening the wicket had flattened out a little bit the ball was quite old but he ran in bold 87 88 miles an hour for 15 overs straight and swung the ball everywhere yeah he challenged the batsman the score the scoreboard didn't tick over either his you know his economy rate was exceptionally good through that period of time and you just think if if had leaked another 20 or 30 runs that night now, that would have made it really difficult for England in the game. So um, his bowling was one of the turning points, I thought.
0: Where do you put him in all-rounders that you've seen? I mean, you've, you played against Callis, some of the great all-rounders in world cricket, but he seems to be able to do everything bat and ball.
2: He does remind you a bit of Andrew Flintoff at his, at his best as well, I reckon. Um, he's a better batsman than Flintoff. Flintoff mm-hmm. was probably a better bowler, but he's... He's their go-to man, what Flintoff was, you know. In, in Ashes series, it was all, Flintoff was the one that always stood up for them. If you look at his Flintoff's overall record in uh, anything other than Ashes cricket was was ordinary, but in Ashes cricket, he managed to find a way to to um, win games for him And you just get that feeling with Stokes as well. You just get that feeling that they know as well now. I think that when he, whenever he's out there with battle ball in hand, that something's going to happen. You know, he just seems yep. that sort of character that he's. He's not going to stop trying until the job's done, until the task that he's been given is over and done with, and he's won that task. He's he's not going to stop trying. So um, no, he's he's so, still so young and in his career as well. I mean, what we saw the other day that might just be the tip of the iceberg of something extraordinary. Because if you look at what he does technically with the bat, he's probably on par with even Joe Root technically, um, and he's so far ahead of what the rest of their batting group technique-wise. It's not funny. So, um, yeah, that that coupled with someone that can bowl. Eighty-seven, eighty-eight 88 miles an hour. It's a pretty good package.
1: How important is that? Like Joe Root, I think, spoke after the game, saying yeah, they knew that the Australians only had three seamers and a spinner, so if they took them deep in the game, those guys were going to, just for the rotations, they were going to start to wear out. To have that fourth seamer who can come and not just be a sort of stop cap or hold up an end measure, but actually wicket take, that's pretty invaluable, isn't it, for a captain?
2: Yeah, well, that's what an all-rounder is, isn't it? That's the, that's the flexibility uh, and value of having a world-class all-rounder. Um, you know, and since... Since Watto's been out of our our test team, I think we've, you know, we've looked at a few. We've been looking to try and get the balance of our overall team right. I think the, you know, the really good teams that that I played in, we always had one or two guys that were capable of bowling not just ordinary part time stuff, but bowling good part time stuff. You know, it might have been a Mark Waugh or a Steve Waugh or or an Andrew Simons or someone like Michael Bevan. Yeah, we always had guys like that that could contribute and do a good job with the ball. This this current group, I mean, Manus, I think will develop into that. I think he'll develop into a really good. Um, spin bowling option for the Aussies but that medium pace option we haven't got anymore which uh, you know, hopefully that's Mitchell Marsh that comes on in the next few years
0: Mm. You spoke about one of your moments there about the the DRS review after having a couple of days to think about it, uh, Tim Payne's got a fair bit of criticism for burning that review over before um, and he said that he just seems to get them all wrong Uh, How do you fix that as a captain? How do you go about getting those DRS reviews right?
2: The thing that I learnt with him as well is you don't put too much trust in your bowlers because <laughs> the bowlers think every single one of them is out. So you, um, and the one thing that we haven't spoken about, and I should have done it through commentary and even at the end of the game, one thing we haven't spoken about is Steve Smith's absence on the field in that last day. Mm. You know, we, I, don't, I think that's been overlooked a bit. Having a, the most experienced player, an ex-captain, standing beside Payne through the, the last part of that afternoon, might have made things a little bit different. Mm. Maybe even that DRS, maybe Smithy might have been the one then to say, no, 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 that can't be out. Yeah. Let's be sensible. That's not, you know, I've seen this before with the way Paddy bowls and it's going to pitch out so that it can't be out. Um, Maybe even some of the tactical stuff that Payne has been criticized for in the last 48 hours, maybe that might have been slightly different if Smith was out there. We've seen Smith at Lords, didn't we, controlling a bit of the field, or and helping with field placements and things like that. So that was one thing that I should have got out during commentary I didn't think about until... Until too late, but um, yeah, I think pressure leads to a lot of those decisions. And I think desperation mm. was the was the word that I would use with the way that Paney burnt that one late the other day. I think almost feeling, oh, you know, we might we might not get another chance. Let's have a look here. When it was, you know, he I, he knew. I've read some of the things he said. He knew it wasn't. There. He knew it pitched a long way outside leg stump. And if anything, it sounded like Paddy actually convinced him to have a look because Paddy said it was going to hit the stumps, but. The laws of the game say it's got to a pitch, a pitch yeah. in, pitch in, not just hit the stump. So, yeah, it's something they're going to have to talk. about. I'm sure they would have talked about it after the first game because there's a lot in the first game that they got wrong as well. And so they need to come up with a like a rock solid system of one or two guys that you know are either in front of the batsman and get a, get a good idea, or sometimes you can use your square onto the wicket fielders as well as far as height and those sort of things are concerned. But um, trust, you can't trust the bowler all the time. Let's put it that way.
1: Certainly can't. <laughs> so, if you back in the days when you were captaining, who would have been the bowler that burned through them the fastest? Do you think, if of your attack? It's
2: um, a good question. I actually don't know. I, I don't know. Well, for that reason, I think because I, you know, you, you as I said, you got to take a bit of that decision making out of the bowler's hands and um, and use your own game sense, I think, and awareness to to hopefully come to the right decision. I mean, I'm sure I got a few wrong along the way as well, but. Um, it just seems that we've this series in particular, and whether that's just the added pressure of an Ashes series, and as I said, some desperation trying to to get those key breakthroughs that it's um they've you know they're not being used as well as they could have. But I don't know if there was any one bowler, but um, I think they I'll put them all in the same basket. I reckon. <laughs>
1: You would have used it a few times with your medium paces,
2: wouldn't <laughs> no, you? No. <laughs> well, I, I bowled very rarely once I was captain. I said that once I took over the job. That's it, that's it, me, done. You won't see me bowl ever again, but I had to do it on a couple of occasions.
0: As if Warnie wouldn't have thought every dismissal was out, though. Every shout, he would have questioned it.
2: I'm not sure he had it, did he? Didn't no, he, he, did no he, him, he, might, he might have it. had it. That's what, he's, that's what he talks about now. He reckons would have had 1,000 wickets <laughs> if, if there was DRS in place when he was playing.
1: Well, that was all part of the theatre with Warnie, wasn't it? He'd put the pressure on by appealing for everything, and you just start to wonder whether he was challenged to review it. Whether he would have actually followed through and said, No, nah, I didn't. I didn't really think that was out. I was just
2: yeah, and it would have been interesting as well because of the aura I reckon around Warnie. You know, he might have actually got a lot that weren't out because of that pressure that he built up. You know, he might have actually mm. got some that went the other way as well. Mm. Um, and because of how much he spun the ball, you know, quite often batsmen were playing on the front foot to him, and he spun the ball a lot, so the impact point. That the umpire saw compared to where the ball actually might have gone. A lot of them might have actually turned and missed the stump So,
1: um, yeah, it's interesting. They probably would have used to, had to use their bat more as well too. Yeah, that was
0: there. Wasn't there a, a plum LB? Was it Flintoff in O five that wasn't given, and then he went on to make that hundred? Which one was that one? Probably,
2: <laughs> we had a few little things like that go against us I've in two thousand and five. But Kadditch would have coped. got he would have got away with a, with one at Trent Bridge, which might have helped us go on and win that game as well. But um, um, actually Damien Martin was another yeah. Damien Martin was another one somewhere. Big Edge that might have been Trent Bridge as well. I reckon in the same Test match as Caddo. I think yeah
1: speaking of 2005 is it the risk of this is repressed memory syndrome I know but is it this got a similar feel to it like you know just Australia winning the first test quite comfortably suddenly star player goes down England look like they're out of the test match come back and win there's this huge kind of momentum building behind them um, crowd support you know and the miracle stuff and then you go to Old Trafford yep absolutely that was the last bit I was going
2: to put on it going to old Trafford but on the back of a sort of a momentum shift if you like in the series. I I must admit I'm not a huge believer in momentum in in cricket series because I mean everyone said even if we think about this series alone, everyone talked about how England would take all the momentum out of the Lord's test having, you know, pushed Australia hard on the last day. You know, they probably should have bowled Australia out for under 100 on day 1, they like got 180, but then got bowled out for 67. So the momentum was gone, like whatever momentum that we talked about after Lord's was gone, you know, a, a day into the next test match. So um but you know what they did. What they did by winning this game here—it's—it's it's, you know—it's pretty amazing stuff to think that they could come from where they did and, and win. I think it's like 130 years since a team's been bowled out for under 70 in the first innings of a test and gone on to win. So it's pretty remarkable. um and we talked about it after the game as well. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing for the Aussies to have the game in between. You know, are you better off having a game in between to? try and get all that stuff out of the way mm. or you're better off just getting straight into another test match and facing up to it all again it's a, it's an interesting um conversation i reckon ar- around what's right and what's wrong there but i mean even as as far as thinking about it and talking to jail about it yesterday you know having it's pretty hard test match that for most of the players you know mentally and physically draining game even though it was you know sort of th- well three and a half days. and um who they put on the park for this next game as well it's not like there's 20 players that they can choose from to put on the ga- on the park for the derby game so mm. there's a bit they got a way up there but um, yeah going back to your question about being like 2005 I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of similarities right now one I didn't even think about with the McGrath-Smith situation with McGrath going down and then Smith going down you're probably a star player in both of those teams so um it's going to be intriguing to see how they bounce back you know what what team they actually go with Do they think they've got the right team makeup now well, obviously smith's got to come back so there's a decision they have got to make there around the batting um stark's been on the sidelines for a couple of games to unleash him in a, in a big game like this um so they've got some decisions to make and i still think england have got as many questions to answer as australia their batting has looked woeful um certainly their top order battings looked poor and Josh butler's battling away down there at number you know, playing as a specialist bat, batsman and batting at number seven and offering very little so far so they've got some questions to answer too I think
1: There's also the 05 series that I think you've said in the past that you, you learnt things sort of looking back at it that you maybe you put too much trust in some senior blokes thinking they were just going to do the job for you and they, they didn't do you is the risk that you hear they've been so close to winning these couple of tests that you don't change anything because you think you've got the right formula but then in retrospect you go oh maybe we should have made a tweak here and there yeah, that's a very good question as well. I think a lot of the
2: trust, the trust stuff that I talked about after 2005 was more to do with our preparation. It was more to do with the way that the, the guys were training and preparing themselves, knowing that. And this is what happened at the end of it. Looking back, you know, we we were coming up probably against the best attack we'd faced in a long time in in that series with you know Hogard, Flintoff, Harmison, Simon Jones, and obviously Ashley Giles doing what he did. But it was a very very well rounded fast bowling attack that, um, you know, could use the new ball, and then once the ball got old, they were great exponents of reverse swing I mean um, Jones and Flintoff were amazing and looking back at that I just don't think you know particularly some of our more senior guys I don't think we actually trained well enough to be ready for that and that was what that was my that was the trust thing that I'd sort of questioned when I got back was um, that I just don't think we trained specifically enough for what we're going to get in the games and I think if you look at some of the big pressure moments in that series in 05 was when we we just made uncharacteristic little mistakes and a lot of those little mistakes that we made ended up turning into a, you know, enough to lose a game or lose a series, which, you know, one, one test match back then was enough to lose that series. And that was on the back of just a couple of little mistakes or a freaky run out by a sub or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <I've> forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I don't think I, I've been around this group enough. Um, their, their training and their preparation won't be, won't be compromised. Their, their preparation, you know, even around the, the World Cup, was unbelievably good. The intensity that these guys train with and bring to their work every day is outstanding, so I don't think that'll be an issue.
0: I guess another similarity is the Casper dismissal at Edgbaston. He's had to live with that since '05. Now Nathan Lyon's going to have to go through something similar, you'd imagine. How did you get Casper back up? You spoke about how the teammates have to get Casper mm. uh, line up. Did you have to do something similar? And Is that what you expect from the Aussies with Lyon?
2: Yeah, I mean the bottom line with Casper, I mean it, what he made twenty odd, I think, in that innings, didn't he? And, mm-hmm. and, and gave us a chance to win. So no one could be too disappointed with his efforts that day. It was us top order guys that let our team down in that, in that last innings. I mean, I think Warney got well, Warney must have got forty odd. Bingham must have got forty odd. Um, I think we, we might have needed eighty with a couple of wickets to go. So yeah, you couldn't blame poor old Casper. I mean, to this day now, I mean, he's he still still say that he reckons his hand was off the handle anyway, so it wasn't
0: out. He's dying but, out on it, isn't he? <laughs> <man? laughs> um,
2: but, yeah, with Nathan, it's guaranteed, there's guaranteed to be some scarring there from that. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure he won't want to see it again, but it's going to be unavoidable. actually, I know that they, the boys actually sat down yesterday as a group and went through the last eight or ten overs together and just looked at little things that they maybe could have done better through the, the course of that last bit of the day. Um, so he probably has seen it again. But... You know, it's yeah. It's no. Harris dropped a catch. Davey probably dropped a catch late as well. Mm. I mean, they're all. Yes, his was probably more than a half chance. His was a, a pretty simple chance that could have been gobbled up. But it happens in the game. You know, we all make mistakes. We've we, everyone's dropped them and everyone's made you know made a bad call and run somebody else out or played a bad shot themselves. And they, these are little things that I that you know just culminate and tend to happen in Ashes series more than other ones. And I guess they're probably highlighted more in an Ashes series and other ones as well, other series as well, because of the pressure that comes with it and the enormity of the series. But yeah, look, I, I must admit, I got home from the ground the other night. I sent Nathan a text straight away because he was as soon as I got back to my room, he's the only, th- only person I could think about um, that I hadn't seen at the ground. So I sent him a message straight away and his response was pretty, you could tell how shattered he was about the whole thing, but um, he'll move on. As I said to him, look, he's, a, he's an absolute great of the Australian game. He's won so many games mm. for Australia by himself that, you know don't let this one get to think about the good things that he's done through his career and not focus on this the one thing that's um that's just happened
0: he's taken 357 wickets now i think yeah i, mean. I think
2: he's done a reasonable job hasn't he, from yeah. Spinning, yeah. he might
0: uh, he might finish second only to warney in terms of wickets well how old is he now 31, 30s, 31 yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so
2: he's got a lot of cricket to play and it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon he's bowling as well as ever so absolutely could finish second how good, how good would that be for for a, an off spinner and it's one of the arts that we talk about dying in the game just a regulation finger spinner that doesn't have a variation that spins the other way if, if he can manage to do that that'd be an incredible achievement
0: could you possibly imagine he might finish up second behind Warren, when you first saw him in 2011
2: well i'm not sure if he knows this uh nathan but i actually take i'm going to take a fair bit of the credit for him playing when he did because <laughs> i I've, michael beer and, and nathan Lyme are on the same tour So we had a left-arm off-spinner that bowled quite fast into the wicket in Sri Lanka, and that was what we were looking for, someone that was going to be able to bowl fast and not give many runs away, if you like, as a spinner. You know, spinners are generally, that we brought in since Warnie. The spinners that we tried had all leaked a lot of runs, whether it be Crazier or, you know, even a McGill or a Bryce McGain played one, they'd all gone for a few runs. So, you know, the left-hand off-spinner, they they had a lot of right-hand batsmen in Sri Lanka at the time, and there was talk that, you know, Michael Beer had to play. And I went into the nets at, I reckon it was Gaul for the first test of that series that Nathan came in for, faced him for 10 balls and went out and I said, I'm telling you, you have to pick this bloke, this bloke has to play the game. Just the way that, and you'll see it now, the way that he released the ball, and that was all I talked about, the way that he released the ball, the way the ball came out of his fingers and the shape and overspinning got on the ball, I hadn't seen in one of our spinners for a long time. Mm. And when I thought about it, his actual, the way he released the ball was so similar to Harbogen that it, it was ridiculous. And if you look at back at the next best performed off spinner in the last 20 years... It's probably Harbage and Singh yeah. as far as wickets are concerned. And the release was so much the same. So I went out and said to Pup, and it was coach at the time, Tim Nielsen, I guess, was coach. I said, forget about beer, you've got to play this bloke. The ball comes out of his hand so well. And I think I've got not a wicket with his first ball, did he? Kumar
0: Sangakara. Yeah.
2: So, so selection if, Nathan didn't, if Nathan didn't know, <laughs> he's got to listen to this because you'll know now. He does. Now.
0: Now. <laughs> he does. Uh, well, we'll talk about selections for the fourth test mine's going to play no doubt uh, but let's go through the, the order starting with the openers what happens now with uh, Smith's going to come back in he's going to have a ripple effect on the whole batting order mm. with the openers Warner's going to stay there so with Smith coming in he can't really drop Labashain now after those three innings he's played and bowled as well so do we look at someone like Harris coming out of the team does Bancroft come back in because of all the trouble the England right arm bowlers give giving the left handed batsman does that put Kawaja up the top how do you sort of see the top order looking for Australia in that fourth test.
2: Yeah, it's a tough one. Lavashane's in, 100% he's in. He's uh, he's been ultra impressive, so he's going to play and probably bat at five, you would think. Unless, I mean, the other thing they could could think about, I know it would be harsh on Harris having come and just played that one game, but maybe they could think about opening with Kawaja and then maybe Lavashane bats three, Mm. uh, Smith four. Lavashane seems well-equipped against the new ball. Uh, I mean, the the thing that will happen for England probably as well is that Anderson probably comes back so Archer doesn't open the bowling it'd be Broad and Anderson open the bowling. Archer's going to be in a first change. So that that's something that they might talk about and think about as well. Um, so do you keep Kawaja in do you, or or Harris? I think it's probably one of those two guys that might have if that might have to move. Um, or do they look further down the order? Do they look further down at a, at after you, you know Wade's made that very good hundred in the second innings at Edgbaston? Do they look at maybe maybe making a change down there? I, I honestly don't know what what the right thing is. Um, but I'm sure they'll they'll talk long and hard about that. I'm not. I don't know who's going to play the derby game. Actually, as far as the top order is concerned, um, we might get a bit of a hint there. I'm just thinking about that. If say if someone like Warner didn't play, if Kwaadz are open to batting, that might be a bit of a giveaway as well. Do mm. um,
0: so these tour games? Yeah. Would this tour game have a big say. You reckon? Like if there's someone if someone gets runs, if if a Harris gets a fifty or a I think or... he probably
2: has to. Because I think the the Southampton tool game certainly did, didn't it? Yeah. Bancroft doing what he did in the second innings that got him pretty much into the first test. So, if there's a similar sort of line ball decision that they're going to make, then all you can do as a batsman is get runs, and if you get runs, then the top of the selectors to yeah. to do what they do. So, yeah, it's it's a big it's a big call. I mean, do you leave the top order like it? Or the, the top order hasn't fired as yet you know Davey obviously battled away and battled away for his 60 odd here in unbelievably tough conditions the other day but the top order hasn't fired yet but do you want to be making another change or another couple of changes in your top three like that when you talk about batting orders you talk about the engine room you know being your top three you keep mucking around with that you know it's it's not going to get easy because I still think I still think that there's the most pressure on those guys in in test match cricket the guys in one two and three so be interesting to see what they do but there are a few options there
0: and I guess you don't want to look... I mean, Bancroft and Harris are the future, right? Warner and uh, Khawaja won't be around for in five years' time, say. But you've got to win right now, don't you? So you've got to pick the players to win the Ashes and win this next Test match. So you can't look... You can't you know, use the, uh, the excuse we're looking for the future. You've got to pick the team to win the f- Test match, right? We do now. I
2: mean, uh, after <laughs> what's just happened the last couple of days, yeah. I mean, that, that that's it. It's... It's absolutely as simple as that. I mean, even before the series started, there might have been a bit of an eye on the future, you know, when, and with Bancroft coming back into the side, maybe someone that we can invest in time in. We know that he's the right sort of character, and we know that he's got a game that can survive a test level. There might have been a bit of that at the start of the series, but there won't be now. They'll be thinking about what what can we do with this batting lineup or the whole eleven. What can we do to give ourselves the best chance of winning this game?
0: I imagine pitch will come into the thinking about the, the pace attack. But what you've seen through the series so far, is it time to bring Stark in? Does Cummins need a rest? I mean, he's played all the World Cup, three test matches now. He's the best ball on the team. But you gotta, do you keep, keep going with him to try and get that win? He won't be coming out. No way. No,
2: Cummins won't be coming out of the side. I think if they if they look at making a change, I think it would have to be Pattinson again. Hazelwood, I think that's as big, probably... With the exception of this, his spell with the second new ball, in the second innings i'm not sure i've seen him bowl better than that but he that was outstanding from him um camo was brilliant again um i think if there is a change it'd be stark in for pattinson you'd you'd think um but once again i I think they'll see how he goes in derby if he doesn't bowl the house down there i think they'll be reluctant to make change you know Pado, um you know probably as the game went on i thought he got better um, different spells. I think when he looked like he had his rhythm, I thought he was really good. The way that he started day four, I think that little two or three over spell that he bowled there was probably as well as he bowled in the game. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'm not up to date with what this, the whole um, management process is with all these guys. here. I'm not sure if it was set down that Patter just came and pl- in, played that one, and then they thought about resting him. So I'm not sure what, what they'll do there, but I think they'll definitely look at how well Stark performs at derby. I watched him in the nets two mornings during that test match, and he bowled beautifully Stark in the nets. Uh, I know it's a different kettle of fish and whatever else, but he, he did bowl well, bowl fast and and swung the ball. So they're all the things you're looking for with Mitchell Stark.
1: How important is that extra element too, that in the left arm, change of angle, change of delivery points, Just if you, there's a certain sameness to those three right armors isn't there?
2: Yeah, and I, I must admit, was that as the the game was sort of slipping away late the other day, the only image I had in my head was Stark bowling... Stokes at the Overland at World Cup game with a Yorker the Yorker right in the base of off stump. And even someone like Jack Leach, I'm not sure he would have been that keen on facing Mitchell Stark at 150k's with reverse and back and onto his toes either. So um, obviously that wasn't there last week and the game might have been completely different if Stark had played last game. But he's just, when, situations like that, when the when the tail's in, the ball's old, he just knocks him over for fun, doesn't he?
0: Mm. And that's the benefit of having a Stokes because then you have the luxury of playing a Stark so you can have that fourth seamer. To be able to control if Stack does. That's it.
2: That's that's what's what I talk, when you talk about an all rounder, you talk about just the, the overall versatility that they, they provide to the side, and you know even more so for England when they've got someone like Archer that they want to use in short sharp bursts. Then you just go throw the ball to Stokes for a couple of overs. He comes on and bowls eighty eight miles an hour and swings it, and Joffre can go away and rest up for an hour and come back and you know bowl ninety five miles an hour in his next spell. So that's that's the beauty of, a, of an all rounder if you've got one that's good enough.
0: Or limp off with cramp.
2: Yeah, yeah. That'll happen more and more through his career as well, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> uh, England, we don't want to spend too much time on them, but uh, Jason Roy's averaging nine and a spoke, spoken, you don't think he's a test match opener, a bit like Burns, but he's averaging 40.3. Um, what do they do with their top one? I mean, does Joe Root stay at three? He's not having a great series. So they push him down. Does Denley go up? I mean... The county systems you would have spoken to guys like Nasser and Ian, both them, do they have any ideas about who can come in to help this batting order?
2: I think what they're saying pretty much the for the opening spots the cover's pretty bare. And I think that's why you've probably got someone like Jason Roy and Rory Burns there now. I mean Roy was no doubt picked on the back of a you know, a brilliant World Cup. You know, against the new ball and mm. doing what he did, but it's it's just a different game. You know, and we've seen hundreds of players through the time that have been able to dominate a white ball and then as soon as the 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 ball changes colour. They got no idea. It's someone like a Rohit Sharma, who's arguably as good a one-day player as we've seen. He's got three double hundreds, I reckon, in one-day cricket, and doesn't ever seem to be troubled by a brand new white ball. And you get him out there in a Test match, and he averages twenty-five or something, mm. you know. And so there have been there have been a few. Jason Roy, I think, is is probably exactly the same. It's um, you know the thing with some of their batsmen. I was talking to Mike Atherton about this the other morning. So. Some of the technical deficiencies that we've seen, probably from both teams with our batting, with the batting during the series, it's, it's almost like the techniques are well, either different or, or poor, whichever way you want to look at it, but it's almost like they have to have everything go exactly right for them just to survive in the game. If you look at someone like the way that, the way that Rory burns bats, I mean, he has to have everything go perfectly right for him to get runs. I mean, he got 100 at Edge Baston, was mm-hmm. it? He played and missed 45 times. Like, I don't care how much the wicket does you, you know so, and that's all these things that they do wrong is just enough to sort of survive in the game whereas the, the class players you know they can do a lot of things wrong and still make runs mm. whereas I think it, we, with a lot of the you just see so many mistakes made by, by players and you know Jason well, I think Jason will be a, a little bit like that you know he's come into this series in unbelievable form in, the, in World Cup cricket but hasn't looked like it at all Hasn't even looked the part as a top-order test match player because the the little mistakes that you make in one-day cricket are not highlighted as much. Whereas in in a test match against you know Hazlewood, Cummins, and Pattinson, I think those little mistakes that you have are going to get highlighted pretty quickly.
1: The people that watch a lot more county cricket than I do say that the best technically best red ball opener going around at the moment is Sir Alistair Cook. Well, they,
2: when you, they start talking about the old school opener that looks like he's got a reason, they're talking about even going back to someone like a Sam Robson that played. Three or four years ago, that's the old-fashioned bat all day, not play many shots, but technically okay. Um, it's a couple of young blokes. There's a Dominic Sibley and Zach Crawley and these guys that apparently, I think at one stage during this season, Sibley might have got six hundreds in a row or something, or six hundreds in six games or something. He was actually at Surrey when I was there. Good young player. um But I, I think knowing what I think, England will stick with their same batting lineup. To be honest, I, I think they'll show a little bit more faith in in um roy burns as you say he's got that hundred already i don't think he's going anywhere the other the other one i reckon they've got a problem with this butler like what do they do there
1: with he's gone backwards he's gone from five to six to seven in the last three innings yeah right?
2: and then given nothing when he's got down at seven so it's a bit of a luxury to have a, a specialist batsman coming in at seven but they can do that because mm. of you know what stokes brings but is um, he
0: is he is he just exhausted i mean he's just seemed like he's just played so well, no much more cricket. Than,
2: no more than ben stokes
0: Oh, well, it's true. Yeah.
2: yeah, Ben Stokes had a pretty fair <laughs> workload through the World Cup. He's yep. fin- he's finding a way, isn't he? Um, the other thing they could think about doing as well is someone like a Ben Folks, who he, had, he's a, he looks like a very good cricketer to me. He's a very good keeper, and he's a, and he's a and he's a good batsman. Maybe they could think about bringing him in for Butler, and then taking the gloves off Bairstow and just freeing Bairstow up a little bit as well. Um, that might be something to think about.
0: Mm. Uh, and what do you reckon if Anderson comes back in Wokes is the one to go yeah
2: Wokes goes straight out Anderson Broad go back to taking the new ball and Archer will be that real strike weapon on the back of that I reckon short sharp spells Um, because I think even I know he might have been a bit tired and stuff after Lords you know the workload he had there he probably hasn't and the intensity he probably hadn't had in his life before Um, but his pace is a little bit down through that the the last test but if he I think if if he knows that they're going to use him in short sharp spells then I think he, he's probably going to be more likely to take the handbrake off and run in a bowl, bowl quick and, and try and have an impact that way.
0: I'm Pat Cummins. Now it's time for Play It or Leave It. Right, we're going to finish with uh, a game of Play It or Leave It. Rambo, you're very good at this game, better than Tim Payne on the DRS. Um, <laughs> well, you must get one right then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty high bar, isn't it? <laughs> So, we'll throw you, I'll bowl you a, a, a scenario, and you're going to either play it, agree with it, or leave it, let it go. Right. Disagree with it. Yep. So, we'll start off with uh, this is all about the fourth test. Yep. Stokes to produce at least four wickets and 80 runs in Manchester.
1: Yeah, he'll do that, play it. He'll
0: play it, Rambo. Oh, I'll play it. I think he probably do
1: both. Yeah, but that's you right.
0: Have... It's, got, it's got to be the combo job. So, that's a uh, average is about. Th- about four wickets a game, a bit less than four wickets. Sorry,
2: sorry, is that he's got to do both? I thought you said either.
0: No, no, it's got to do both. No, I thought it was either. No, no sorry, I don't sorry, think. Sorry. He,
2: no, I don't think. He, no, I'll take it back then. I'll leave it. I, I think he'll get the runs.
0: He won't get the wickets. Okay. So you've looked to play. The last Late decision. Okay. All right. Uh, Joffre Archer to dismiss Steve Smith. No, I'm going to leave that one. Yeah, left. Left alone. He's going to Smith's going to bounce back, counter him. Okay.
2: Well, he didn't get him out last game.
0: That's true. Okay. Uh, the opening stand of either team, so there's four cracks at it, to pass 50. The top's been 22 this series so far. It's not match aggregate. No, no, it's a partnership right, of 50 one or more. partnership of 50. Play. Is it an, an Australian? Australian one, yes. <laughs>
2: not an England one, an Australian
0: one definitely. So who's Twice. Gonna, <laughs> who's going to be the opening combo?
2: I'm going I'm to say that it's going to be the same. I'm going to say it's Warner and Harris.
0: Okay, did you play or leave that
1: one? Uh, I had I had neither, but I, I think I'll play it because I've seen test matches at Old Trafford where the openers get away to a flyer on the first day. Uh, did, did I recall Triscothic and Strauss uh, in 2005 got away to a bit of a... If they batted first, they might have, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, they got a big first innings. I know team. you've
1: blanked a lot of this stuff out, but that seems to... A lot be
2: of it, out, actually. Vaughan got 170 or something, 180, so I don't know if they were... From memory, Strauss got hit in the head, didn't he? Was that the first thing or the second? Uh, hit him on that. Binger hit him on the head and cut his ear open. I'm not sure if that's that was right. the first yeah. morning or the second. They hand. certainly
0: rattled along that day, didn't they? They did, yeah. He yeah.
1: scored about 400 and something a So I think I'll play it. Yes.
0: Okay, beautiful. Um, this is left armers in the match of both sides to take eight or more wickets.
2: Leach and Stark. Could be Curran.
0: you got to think of the selections.
2: No, that's a leave.
0: No, that's a leave. Don't like no. that one? No. I, have I think fought, Jackson played is his batting, isn't he? <laughs> you played at that one, have you? Well, I think if Stark comes back in, he's going to take a few. There we go. Okay, uh, the match will go into a fifth day.
2: Yeah, knowing Manchester, there's always some weather around, so I'll say yes.
1: Play that one. Oh, I'm just thinking of my own mental health. I'm leaving that one. I'm saying it might be over <laughs> an
0: early win on day four. It was good having <laughs> a, a fifth day off here, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, okay, finally, uh, two or more Game of Thrones references Ricky won't understand. In the commentary box. Yeah, in the commentary box. There was a couple flying around in this test match.
2: Mate, if they bring if there's any reference, I got no idea what they're
1: talking about. So yeah, I'll definitely play that one because I think uh, they've realised now that this is mental disintegration. <laughs> they're just going to keep hurling them at him. Yeah, well, he's going to be forced uh, to binge watch. <laughs>
2: I'm meeting Brian Henderson during the week <laughs> at Sky to say please no more Game of Thrones references through the commentary. So I'll say it's a I'll leave that one.
0: Okay, beautiful. All right, that's it for this week's episode, Ricky. Thanks so much for coming on. No worries, man. And Rambo, as thanks always, for, thanks for turning up. <laughs> All right, remember to rate, review, and, and subscribe to the Unplayable Podcast, which is proudly brought to you by Mastercard on iTunes and all other podcast apps. For all your cricket news, scores, and video, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?